Now, China has been in a hurry to continue buying gold as they've bought 593 tons of gold year to date. Well, hello there, my friends, and good afternoon. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics as we take a look at some of the daily news affecting the gold and silver space, as well as things going on in the U.S. Treasury. And we will also take a particular look at some of the inflows of the precious metals in China, which has certainly been a voracious buyer of gold in particular for quite a while. And we've seen them step up some of their purchases of gold in recent times. And also take a look at a few notes on silver coming out of China. So with that said, let us get started and take a quick look at the pricing as I'm recording at 10.35 on a.m. Eastern on November 9th, Thursday morning here in the East Coast. And we can see gold and silver both up just a little bit on the day. Silver up 25 cents in the futures. And again, we can see here is back on October 4th right before we had the conflict break out in the Middle East. And we've seen silver go from about $21, has now been hovering in around the $23 range for these last three weeks. Both metals going higher and then coming back in a little bit this week. Although silver, as you can see, hanging in at that $23 range as the world continues to digest what exactly is going on in the Middle East Similar pattern in gold here you see back in early October before the conflict broke out. Gold did cross the $2,000 mark, has not had a weekly close there yet, although it's pulled back in quite a bit this week down to 1965 as we're recording this now, which on one hand, you hear a lot about how when there is geopolitical conflict like we are seeing right now, often we do get a spike in the metals prices although can usually be something temporary if tensions are resolved. I don't know if we've actually seen much resolution in what's going on with Israel and Gaza, where on one hand, we haven't seen an outright breakout of World War III, which is certainly positive news. Although, again, for those of you who are following the day-to-day -day events there, still quite a bit of tension and nothing has really yet been resolved. Although perhaps... One other metric of looking at how this has played out, which has been even a little more stark, is the oil price, which let's take a look back here is in early October. You see it around the $82 mark, spiked higher, almost to $90 on the WTI futures, although has been coming in quite a bit down to $77 today which seems to be reflecting a market's lack of concern of what's going on. Again, we could see this change very quickly on any given day, given the latest news out of the Middle East. So certainly something you want to be keeping an eye on with the oil price. Now, should it remain down here? It's interesting in that perhaps could help the Fed a little bit as we look at some of the inflation numbers going forward, because here taking a look back at the six-month chart, we're seeing the inflation numbers come down. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean that prices are coming down, but rather just the rate of increase in price has been slowing, although that subsided and we've seen the numbers stay, the inflation numbers stay flat over the past couple of months as the oil price has risen. And even though the Fed likes to often look at the core inflation numbers, which strip out food and energy, 
obviously there's still an impact from what is going on in oil that flows through to everything else in the economy that is energy dependent. So when we had oil back in the 90s in late September, early October, certainly that was having an impact on what we saw with the inflation numbers and why it was putting the Fed in an even more precarious situation where, yes, they want to continue raising rates to bring down inflation, although they had been raising rates and inflation had started to tick back up. And perhaps one of the best things that could happen to the Fed at this point, at least in terms of combating the inflation metrics is see the oil price go back down. So it will certainly be interesting next month when we get the November inflation data. We will, of course, be getting the October data, which will be coming out next week for the CPI and PPI, although a lot of this is coming in the month of November. So we'll see if we get a further downtick there, which could potentially mitigate the possibility of any further Fed interest rate hikes, again, they are priced in for a high probability, about 90% last time I checked a day or two ago, of another pause at the December meeting. And of course, oil is always a big determinant in some of the variables that go into that. Yet, if we see oil spike back higher in the coming days and weeks, would hardly be surprising given what's going on. So just some levels to keep an eye on going forward. And in terms of gold, there was an article from Jan Neuenhaus, a great researcher who covers the gold space, and he was talking about how China has been in a hurry to continue buying gold as they've bought 593 tons of gold year to date. Obviously, there's what China reports they're buying and what many people believe they're holding. Jan's estimate here is uh, 5,200 tons as opposed to the officially disclosed 2,200 tons. I've heard a variety of smart people in the precious metals world who believe they have even significantly higher than 5,000 tons, even as high as in the 20 to 40,000 ton range. Of course, unfortunately, the Chinese government has not given me any official notice of how much gold they're actually holding that they do not report. Although when you look at some of the inflows that have continued year over year into China, I do think it's a safe bet that it's substantially more than the 2,200 tons they're reporting. Interesting what Jan mentions here, the PBOC is in a hurry to buy enormous amounts of gold, indicating that it's preparing for substantial changes in the dollar-centric international system. Obviously, that's something that we've all wondered about for years in terms of what China is actually doing with the gold and whether there is a change in the monetary system on the horizon. I mentioned before on the show how London Paul, who we've had a couple of times, reported that China actually did say they were going to go to gold-backed currency in 2016 and was told by the U.S. that if they did that, that it would be considered an act of war. So some precedent, at least unofficially, that they have considered that. And obviously, of course, the things that have happened in recent years suggesting that perhaps closer to that than ever, one of which, of course, the start of the Ukraine war in early 2022 sparked the U.S. to optimal dollar weaponization, which made the PBOC ramp up gold buying aggressively. Of course, seeing how Russia was sanctioned after they went into Ukraine, I think was a precedent that 
had to have an impact on a lot of countries around the globe, seeing that if they do something that the U.S. government doesn't agree with, that sanctions can be placed, which would obviously make a lot of these countries want to protect their reserve assets. So, of course, not a surprise that right at that same time that that's happened, we've seen a ramp up in gold buying amongst the central banks around the globe. Of course, for China, who we continue to hear rumors whether they will have a conflict with Taiwan. Certainly plausible that that could be met with a similar response from the U.S. So, of course, it's hard to know exactly what geopolitical actions are taken in the future. But when you see the way some of these things have played out in the past and how countries have responded, obviously that's behind a lot of the movement of central banks into gold, where one of its main advantages is that it's an asset that does not have a counterparty and can be held and stored securely. And I mentioned last week how last year was a historic amount of central bank buying, although the numbers for the first three quarters of 2023 are now in, showing an even higher rate of gold buying, which I do believe has placed a bid in the gold market and why and is part of why we haven't seen the price drop below that 1800 mark this year, even in the face of the higher for longer interest rate hikes. Now, another interesting note out of China is that they are now launching stock indices to tap the rush for safe haven gold, with the indices providing the market with more tools to invest in the gold business, which can help households better manage their wealth. And Shi Hua Duan mentions that gold is the brightest asset at this moment, promising much better returns than Chinese property or the broad stock market. And that's actually the case in a variety of currencies. And here on goldprice.org, fortunately, I have that feature where you can see that. Here's the Chinese yuan. You can see at an gold at an all-time high, although it is hardly only the Chinese yuan. Here is the Canadian dollar where you can see it is at an all-time high. Let's take a look at the pound sterling, another all-time high there. Australian dollar, you'll see the same thing as gold is over the $3,000 mark in terms of Australian dollars, Japanese yen, the same picture there as well. So we're seeing gold do what it is supposed to do in a variety of currencies. And obviously the dollar has been stronger over these past couple months. So not seeing an all-time high at this exact moment in the US dollar, again, not entirely all that far off. And we can take a quick look at the US dollar chart, which you can see we are close to the peak. Obviously, we've hit just below 2100 on a couple of occasions in the past couple of years. And while it's a little bit below the $2,000 mark, as we're recording here on Thursday, November 9th, still significant that this is still in the 1960s, despite the higher interest rates, which really for the past decade, we've seen a tight correlation between real yields and the gold price with gold moving inversely to real yields. In other words, when you're getting a higher rate on treasury, seemingly less incentive to buy gold, although that pattern broke last year, again, right around the time that we saw a conflict in the Ukraine. And we're seeing demand for gold. We're seeing demand for silver. Again, not as much reflected in the price, but we're seeing the precious metals demand for reasons that make a lot of sense. And obviously, if you're following it day to day and you see the price go up or down 20 or $30 here or there can 
perhaps take us away from the bigger term picture. But I think when you take a step back and see that at this time where debt loads are getting bigger than ever, not just in the U.S., but around the globe, and now with the higher rates, seeing that that gold demand has continued rather than the correlation that I just mentioned, I think that's emblematic of the concern that is out there in the market. Yes, I do believe a lot of the movement that we've seen in the past couple of weeks has been impacted by what's happening in Israel, although I continue my belief, as we'll touch on in just a few minutes about how the concerns about how all of this debt is going to be funded going forward is increasingly drawing people into the gold world. So that said, let us take a quick look into China and what's going on in silver. As Bao Zhaijun mentions here, the Shanghai Gold Exchange just released its weekly report and the silver inventory once again flowed out, hitting a new low since 2022. And you see he mentions here that we are getting a higher delivery ratio than average in the silver contract. And someone asked him, is silver as popular as gold in China? Thoughts? An interesting response here. Silver was once a currency in China. Silver is no less popular in China than gold. Only Shengtong Precious Metals Company has stored over 10,000 tons of silver, physical silver, on behalf of its customers. That's something that Vince Lancy has reported on a couple months ago. And we can see what the Chinese silver inventories look like here, which has been steadily draining lower over these past three years. And you actually see a similar pattern to what we've seen in the COMEX and in London. So again, here we are, January, February of 2021, around the silver squeeze where there was over 3,000 tons. And that matches what we see in the COMEX where had 150 million ounces, had gone down pretty sharply, has stayed and fluctuated in that same range because this is back October, November of 2022. And months passed by quickly because here we are in November of 2023 and slightly higher depending on what day you mark it to, although in a very similar range and also matches what we have seen in the LDMA as here we are back in the early months of 2021, where we can see 1.1 billion ounces of silver steady drop off and then had stayed flat for most of the past year, gone up a bit. And then in the past month, we did see a big withdrawal going from 887 million ounces down to 848, which is close to the range that it sat in for the past year. So we are seeing that similar pattern across the globe in terms of the silver inventories. Curious what would happen if we do have another spark, whether that's an issue in the treasury market or in the banking sector that sparks a new wave of physical gold and silver buying, something we saw earlier this year in March and April. And while I know uh, this may get people riled up, I do want to mention that been quite a running up in Bitcoin over this past month. We can see back here in mid-October, price was under 27,000. Now today, a spike where it went from 34,000 up to 37,500. So it's $10,000 increase in just a month. And while I'm not pointing this out in any way to go out and advocate trading your silver and gold for Bitcoin, I guess more just what I've been thinking is that if here you have another asset with similar characteristics 
that goes from 26,000 and change to 37,000 and change in just under a month. At the same time, we're seeing some volatile events in the world and concern in the treasury market. Is it really that far-fetched if we were to see gold go from 2000 to 2500 in a month or silver go from 23 bucks to 27 or 28 which is actually something that we've seen many times because silver has its history of not doing much for a long period of time and then when it moves moving quickly obviously we saw that in 2020 when it went from under under 20 dollars to just under 30 in a very short period of time. So maybe that's the recency bias where we're used to seeing something float around in that, in a, in a given range for so long. And again, if we take a look back here, here is the one year chart of silver, which has stayed somewhat range bound here is the $21 mark has gotten up to 26 and stayed in that range for quite a bit. Although again, here, if you look back there, it was, at $15, dropped as low as 12 in 2020 before getting up close to the $30 mark, which can make it a challenging asset to be invested in because on top of all of that, often the fundamentals in terms of whether running a deficit or demand sparks up don't get immediately reflected in the price. Although perhaps just worth pointing out that here is another asset with similar characteristics. And you can see that when these things move, they do move quickly. Here you see Bitcoin over the past couple of months since it settled around the $27,000 level in March following the banking issues. Again, that happened at the same time we saw the rise in gold and silver and floated around in that range for quite a while before breaking out. So hopefully an indication of some money flows to go back into silver and obviously, with the small size of the silver market, it does not take a lot of money coming into the sector to move it significantly. So, again, we will watch and see what happens there. Although, of course, in terms of silver demand, doesn't seem to be any indication. And you know, I'm somewhat biased on this, although I'd like to think that if we were seeing news of big changes in the underlying profile for silver that I'd be happy to report that just as well. Although here is a story suggesting by, this is coming from Metals Focus, posted on Peter Schiff's uh, website. Metals Focus mentioning that an increased demand for chips powering AI technology could drive widespread support for range of precious metals. And of course, if that does become the case, the most significant impact would be on silver as silver possesses the lowest electrical resistance among all metals at standard temperatures and is a vital component in many electronic applications. Obviously, we've seen a bit of an AI boom throughout this year. And if that continues to be a growing industry, again, something that requires silver. Of course, that's in addition to the green economy demand that we've talked about quite a bit here with a whole range of green uses requiring silver. Obviously, there's the electric vehicle market, of course, in addition to the solar panel production, which has really expanded quite rapidly. And the Silver Institute actually publishes, I believe it's a monthly newsletter where they're always talking about new uses for silver and something that you can actually get for free if you go over to the Silver Institute and sign up for their memos that they send out. But we continue to see increasing uses of silver 
And of course, when we get another spark in the monetary demand for silver, it's already tight market where we've had a deficit over the past couple of years, Silver Institute forecasting. Another deficit in 2023, of which we'll be getting an update in the next couple of weeks. So all of this, of course, happening at the same time that we are seeing inventories on the lower side and paints an interesting picture of what could be possible with silver going forward. Now, in terms of the treasury market, interesting note here from Craig Shapiro, because he mentioned something that I've been thinking about and talking about here, where he says, I think we're going to be able to look back at the recent treasury report as a key turning point for folks' understanding of the precarious situation U.S. government finances are in and not in the way that most people are reacting to that release right now. Treasury is basically announcing they're unable to issue too much duration supply despite a still inverted yield curve and low long and low term premiums. Treasury acknowledges that foreign demand is likely to continue to slow, obviously something that we've seen quite a bit of over the past couple of years due to a reduced pace of international FX growth, which is a kind way of acknowledging that the U.S. Treasury is marginally losing its status as a global neutral reserve settlement. And this doesn't even give any thought to the idea that the more the Treasury decides to sanction our enemies, the less foreign demand there will be for U.S. Treasuries as well. And here, Jamie Carrasco points out that the last time the interest payments on that debt reached 4.5% of GDP, we had a debt to GDP of 30%, while today the debt to GDP is at 140%. And the Treasury, via Janet Yellen, says that there's no problem funding two wars simultaneously. And we're also in the midst of a, another period where the debt ceiling comes and goes and is just removed for a year and a half. While there are no signs of any spending slowdown, and again, I would suggest that even if the even if the government did finally cut spending at this point, so much of the GDP that that four and a half percent number that we saw a week ago is based on government spending. So even if you cut that, then you see GDP go down, you see tax receipts go down, and just one of the reasons why I would suggest that. That cycle is past the point of no return. And also why he mentions here, central banks and wealthy Asian investors are buying physical gold because they understand gold is money and all else is credit, while Western investors are largely oblivious to both our fiscal predicament and how gold can help them. So now, of course, I know you may be tempted to think, well, maybe this is just gold bugs or people who have a biased point of view. Although I found an interesting thing that Vince Lancey posted here. Here is Charlie Munger, associate of Warren Buffett. And let's play this here and hear what he has to say on the situation we're in with the national debt. You uh, touched a little on the national debt, which has just hit $22 trillion. You touched a little on that. Yeah, we're in new territory, but that doesn't mean that it's crystal clear we can't get by what we've done. We just know we're in uncharted territory. You worry about the eventualities of a growing national debt? Well, I don't worry much because I regard it as a sense that a great nation will in due time be ruined. <laughs> you know, where is Rome? Where is Britain in its heyday? They all pass. And so our turn is bound to come someday, but I don't like thinking about it too much. It's like my own death. Why should I enjoy thinking about it? But is it coming someday? Sure, of course it is. But you, you have no guess as to when. No. Sooner or later. So some optimistic comments from Charlie Munger, although 
I certainly agree with what he's saying there. And that's the key thing. We don't know the when, although we can see these things building and you can see what is coming and why I suggest that it's worthwhile to take some time now to prepare in whatever ways you can. Because one of the things that I worry that we will see in a variety of places, perhaps including the U.S., is something that popped up last week. As a note here, Swiss regulators, banks discuss measures to prevent bank runs. Bank measures could include staggering withdrawals, imposing exit fees. Bank measures would target top banks, such as UBS and Swiss talks are in early stages. And we did have a story from Reuters commenting on this, where the Swiss authorities and banks more new rules to prevent bank runs. And these are some certainly disconcerting options that they're being considered. Option to stagger a greater portion of withdrawals over longer periods of time. Posing fees on exits is also being discussed. Rewarding clients who tie up their savings for longer with higher interest rates is being debated. And the article mentions here, regulators worldwide have been grappling with the risk of bank runs, which in the era of digital banking have accelerated in speed. And just a bit disturbing to see that some of the proposals could include basically not letting you take your money out of the banks. And again, that is one of the other reasons why it seems wise to me to have at least some of your assets outside of the banking system. And one of the roles that gold and silver fills as well as it does. Again, certainly you would hope that things like this are not implemented and certainly not implemented in the U.S. or really any place, but I think this speaks to the level of concern that remains in the banking system. Obviously, each week when Andy Sheckman comes on the show, he talks a lot about how Dodd-Frank wrote in the option of bail-ins into the banking code, which we have not seen yet, although you wonder if these issues pop up again, how close we could be to something like that. So, not an ideal era of American finance, but again, pointing these things out, not to unnecessarily alarm anyone, but to at least keep you open to what is going on out there. As we see Zero Hedge, that admits banks suffered massive deposit outflows last week. Here was an article on Wall Street on Parade where Fed's financial stability report says $20.3 trillion is subject to a run. And they mentioned the banking industry has maintained a high level of liquidity overall, but some banks continue to face funding pressures. Meanwhile, structural vulnerabilities persisted in other sectors engaged in liquid liquidity transformation. So you're seeing these concerns and it's not just from gold or silver bugs, but that one coming from the Federal Reserve itself. And one last note I wanted to cover here, which thought was somewhat emblematic of the world we live in today where here, Japan compiles a $113 billion packet to cushion inflation. So once again, we see governments with their means to fight the inflation by spending more money, which is ultimately printed. And here we see this from Japan at the same time that their currency is sinking. While they're also trying to prevent their bond yields from rising, not an easy position to be in, and they're hoping that the effects of gasoline and utility subsidies will push down overall consumer inflation by about 1% from January and April of next year. I'm not so sure how likely that is to happen, but once again, you see that the response to when inflation is getting out of control 
is to spend more money and print more money to fight that, which seems a bit counterintuitive to me, although such is the way it goes in today's global markets. And one last note before we wrap up, I did want to mention that BlackRock has filed a 43101 on their Tonopah West project. And this report is supporting the news that they released back on October 10th, just about a month ago, with their updated resource estimate, which once again came in at 100.04 million ounces of silver equivalent, including 47 million ounces of silver and 570,000 ounces of gold, 135% increase over the maiden resource estimate that they released back in April of 2022. That's based on a 200 gram silver equivalent cutoff grade and 29 cent per ounce discovery cost for that silver equivalent. And now they have filed that with the additional technical details in a 43101. And I will put the link to this press release so you can get access to that in the description field below. But that is what's going on in the world today on a Thursday morning here on the East Coast. We will be hosting a call later today with Fortuna Silver as they had their earnings out yesterday. And Jorge Ganoza will be joining us on the show. That is later on at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So hope to see you there and you can get any of your questions answered. So going to wrap up for now. but. See you again a little bit later.